Welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast, the show about what it's really like to start something meaningful. I'm your host, Mark LaRoost, and today I want to do something a little bit different. Now, before I begin, I just want to let you know that it's been such a crazy period in my life right now that I have been unable to release a weekly episode or an episode as regularly as I would like to. Now, that's down to a few things. One of them is having become a father a few months ago. You can go back and listen to a few episodes where I talk a bit more about that. And also, uh, what I've realized that the more time I spend trying to build up content and doing weekly videos and weekly newsletters and weekly podcasts, the less time I had to actually grow and develop my business from an income revenue perspective. And so I've done a lot of behind the scenes work and and I'm super excited to be announcing in the next few weeks some great partnerships coming along and some work I'm going to be doing some really, really cool organizations. But I've had the honor and pleasure of having gone and spoken to the people against Dirty, the amazing folks behind the two brands that you hopefully have heard of called Method and eCover, the household products. Uh, you've got to go and replace all of your laundry detergents, your your hand wash, your dishwashing uh, liquid, all that stuff's going to be changed. Go and buy those brands. They're phenomenal and they're amazing and they're not paying me for saying any of this. I just spent two and a half days with them at an all-hands conference in, in Belgium and I was just blown away by their culture, by their people, by what they stand for. And uh, I'll tell you a bit more about what I learned in that process. But the the reason why I want to do something a bit different is that um, I've been doing a lot of workshops actually lately. I ran my full day crash course on how to launch a world-class podcast from scratch. I had 10 amazing people show up. We had people from Norway, from France flying in, and it was such an honor to see the next generation of European podcasters, but more than that, to see actually how throughout the day they hatched and they kind of came in, some of them with no idea, some of them with a more clear idea, and by the end, we're really excited to launch that podcast, and there's going to be a whole bunch of really, really cool shows coming out, so I'll be sure to, to tweet about them and post them on Instagram, so make sure and go, go and follow me there if you're on those wonderful crowds. And, uh, and actually, one of the things that I've noticed, right, from running all these workshops, and I just did an MBA workshop just uh, yesterday, uh, where I was helping them understand how you can build your brand and leverage social media and step up to your leadership uh, responsibilities as well as finding your voice. And what I learned is what I want to share with you today. And it's the theme and the topic that I want to talk about today. And to be honest, I'm not even sure where to begin or how to go about it. All I know is what I know best, which is just to speak from the heart and share what's what's coming up for me. And that is I'm seeing more and more people struggling with actually being present in the room. Now, I run workshops, anything from probably the shortest one I do is two to three hours to one day and, and then uh, three days, right? Uh, and what I see is systematically, I, I started off as, as having an invitation to my participants asking them to please put their phones up and put them in their bags and to be present during the classroom. And even though I would mention that there would be coffee breaks and, and lunch breaks and people could go out and check their emails and social media and so forth, what I started realizing, and this is happening again more and more and more, is that people were unable to pay attention for more than 15 or 20 minutes without going on the phones. And God knows what they're doing. I'm not hovering over and, and seeing if they're on Facebook or replying to an important text or, or checking that their groceries being delivered. Um, but the fact of the matter is there's, there's something that happens in that moment when you pull out your phone in the middle of a workshop or maybe in the middle of a meeting with someone. When you pull out your phone 
even if you're not being spoken to or even if you don't feel like you're engaged in the conversation, you switch off. You do two things. You switch off and you're sending a signal and a message to the people around this room that this is not important. And I think there's a few things that I want to point out. And, and, and the one I started kind of looking into this and kind of doing a bit more research around the impact of mobile phones and technology and, and blue screens and on a level of happiness and presence and so forth. And one of the first stats that came up that really scared me was that we, we're basically checking our phones on average 153 times. That feels totally crazy to me. 153 times we check our phones. And yet, how many times do we stop during the day to check how we are doing, how we're feeling, right? Or how many times do we actually stop and ask someone, how are you doing? And pause and wait to hear the answer. Not just, hey, how are you? And then keep on walking. 153 times. Okay. Now, the other thing is that it's it's a well-known fact now that engaging with our phones, with social media, be that a text message or WhatsApp on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or whatever you cool kids do these days, that basically our cell phone releases a chemical called dopamine, right? And it's the same chemical that we get released when we're having all sorts of various activities, some of them good, some of them maybe less good, right? Gambling, alcohol, cigarette, nicotine, and sex. And that's why when you get a text, it feels good. When you get that ping that resonates on your phone, there's something that happens in your body that reacts to it, right? That's also why, uh, and pegged to something else, that when you post something and you regularly go back and check online to see how many likes you got, how many comments you got, and determining on how many that have increased over time will determine how you feel. Right, And that's because we peg our sense of self-worth to the number of likes and followers and comments and shares that we get. And that's a very dangerous game. And the Simon Sinek, the infamous Simon Sinek talk that he gave, uh, I think it was last year, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, we were talking about the millennial generation, you know, had made a really good point uh, over a few things. And one of them was that, look, if you look at millennials, right, so the people I, I, I work with tend to be millennials by the vast majority. So millennials, it's argued around when does it actually start, 1980, 1984, it tends to be between those kind of years where it starts, up, and then generations obviously every 20 years, right, so up to 2000, 2004. So already in millennial generations, you've got different kind of, um, I guess, history, right? So the older generation, so including myself, you know, I grew up in an analog world and the digital world came when I was a kid growing up, you know, I remember my first video game was probably an Atari and then, you know, we graduated to, you know, Game Boys and, and then obviously came internet, the dial-up connections and maybe we had a mobile phone when we were like 16, but, uh, you know, the iPhone, for example, had its 10-year anniversary last year, I think. And so it's something that our, my, my kind of middle of the generation, the millennials, we remember what analog felt like. But another half basically grew up and at the turn of the century and having social media and cell phones were completely synonymous in their lives. It was something that was completely present, right? And so you've got to keep that in mind that there's been a presence of technology in our lives that we've grown up, which could explain also how we're so attached to it. So the thing that I find completely crazy, right, is um, there's now a new term to describe the fear we have of losing a phone or not being close to our phone, and that's nomophobia, right? This word didn't exist before. It's the word that now scientists are using to describe the feeling of anxiety and stress that we have towards the idea of or feeling of losing our phones. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, I think I've come to the conclusion that there is no more argument around the fact that cell phones are addictive 
they are just as addictive as they would be for tobacco, cigarette, you know, all that stuff and gambling and so forth. And the only difference is that we haven't yet come up with structures or boundaries or systems to be able to help ourselves, control ourselves when it comes down to using. Now, we're spending over seven to eight hours a day on blue screens, right? And there have been some studies that had the correlation between time spent on blue screens and digital screens and phones, iPhones and iPads and computers and so forth with a, an increase in likelihood of depression and anxiety, Right, so our mental health issue is at stake here. That's why I want to record this whole episode just dedicated to this. And there was a story that um, Simon Sinek shared, which for me completely uh, blew my mind. And that's basically, they, they had a study around alcoholics, right? And they saw that if kids drink before the age of 15 years old, 40% of them were most likely to become alcoholics. But if they waited until they were 19, 8% would become alcoholics, right? And then the number plummets. So we have an age restriction on alcohol, we have an age restriction on nicotine, and we have an age restriction on gambling, and we don't let our children engage with those things before they're 18 or 21, yeah? And yet, as he says, we have no age restriction on giving them access to an equally dangerous and dopamine-releasing device called social media. Untethered access. Which means that too many of them are maybe getting addicted to their devices, which means they're struggling to deal with the stress and other coping mechanisms when they're older, and we're seeing this reflected in suicide rates. Now, one of the things he, he went on to explain was basically they found that when kids go through the adolescence phase, right? So when we're kids, we're basically our parents are the only people we seek approval from. But then as we go through adolescence, we start expanding that to our world around us, which is a healthy thing because we go from our home to our tribe, and we start seeking help and support from our community and our peers and people around us. It also helps us to train to develop meaningful relationships, to ask for help, to receive help and so forth. And what they realize is that when kids drink at an early age, when they go through troubles, anxiety or stress or so forth, they basically, and if they've had some alcohol right before the age of 15, they are most likely to turn to the bottle when they're adults, when they cope with stress and hard times. And so what they're realizing now is that it's the same thing with mobile phones. So at a point in time when we used to ask our friends for help or when we have to reach out and learn how to make awkward connections and relationships with strangers or friends or friends and so forth, now we're longer relying on human relationships. We go back to our devices, right? And that means that as adults, when we go through difficult times, instead of asking people and uh, for their help or reaching out, we then go to our devices. Now, why is this a problem? Why am I mentioning this? Um, I think it's it's what Adam Grant said, one of the professors at Stanford, is that we need to enforce tech detoxes at work, in the workplace. And I'm a really big believer in this. I think free will <laughs> and how we determine our willpower is so overrated. Okay? There is no way, no way you can be sitting across me in the middle of a conversation and be on your phone and make me believe that you are fully present that you're 100% listening to what I'm saying, that you're engaged in the conversation while multitasking because you're texting or checking your WhatsApp or sending that email or just a quick message, okay? And the reason why I want to talk about this is that there was a study that was made, right? And they basically got people to work on different kinds of tasks where the phones were either sitting on your desk, sitting in their backpack, or sitting in a different room. And what they found out was that if your phone is on your desk, even if it's not switched on, your working memory drops by 10%. And your fluid intelligence drops by 5%, right? So what I'm trying to say is if you're coming to one of my workshops, you're there to learn. I've spent 
a shitload of time and energy and love poured into my workshops to make sure that you get the most of it. People in the room are there because they want to learn and they want to connect with you too. One of the feedbacks I got from one of my participants was have more breaks so that we can actually get to know each other better. Right? So there's a yearning for connection. There's a yearning for relationship. And yet what you're doing when you put your phone out is that you're telling everybody else, I'm bored. I'm disconnected. And I want to blame you and I don't want to blame you. Right? I want to blame you because it's your responsibility. And if you can't have the willpower or the responsibility to, to make sure you don't take your phone, hand in your phone at the start of my workshop. I'm going to have a box now, no kidding, on my desk for those of you who want to be present, who want to be fully committed to the program. You put your mobile phones in this box, you get them at the lunch breaks, and then you can have them when you leave. And yet on the other side, I don't want to blame you because it's just how we've come to live our days every day and that's okay. It reminds me back in the day when mobile phones started to have uh, loudspeakers, right? And then people started playing their music on buses and trains and public areas. And I was just thinking, what the hell are you doing? I don't want to be listening to your music. I don't want to be imposed your music taste, right? When I just want to chill and hang out. And then I realized that that's because no one told them that that's not okay, right? Caught in an education thing. It's just that no one actually stopped to say, you may not know this, but actually it's not okay to do this. And if you want to listen to your music, that's great. Put your headphones on, right? I don't come into your space and, and talk to you when you don't want me to talk to you. So don't get me listening to your music when I don't want to be listening to it. And this evolution has now gone into classrooms and workshops and office space and workspaces when we just think it's okay to disconnect from what's happening and being on our mobile phones. And we're not even aware of the impact. And so I spend now my time, a third of my workshops, policing people with their phones. And the funniest thing is that you think I don't see you looking at your phone underneath your desk and you think you're super discreet. It reminds me like when I'm back at school and the thing that no one's noticing that I might be cheating on a test. And in fact, I'm totally looking down at my notes, right? It's the same thing. So the reason why I'm saying this is that actually I have a yearning for you. I have a yearning for you to be here now in the conversation, in the relationship, because the gift that is available to you when you do switch your phone off and put it in your bag and spend an hour uninterrupted, whether that's paying attention to a workshop you've just paid hard-earned money for, and even if it's your employer that's paid for you to be there, right? And more than that, if it's a friend, if you're in a meeting, right? And I know that this is happening all the time and it happens in every organization. I've seen in every company I've worked for where I've had managers in the middle of appraisals on their laptops, checking emails, right? How do you want to make someone feel like they are being seen, heard, and loved if you're too busy answering an email while multitasking about their future, okay? That's just a really important fact for you to know, but it's also an important fact for you to start speaking up about it. Now, I think there are different ways that we can do this, right? I think we can just simply ask someone, look, I'm noticing that you're on your phone, and I would really appreciate it if you had your phone away while we had the rest of this conversation. So I felt like we were actually engaged and connected as opposed to me talking to you while you're talking to the world. And when you do that, you're never actually really here. Now, in case you're thinking, Mark, you're a little bit exaggerating here. Here's a little thought for you. They look at the addiction of nicotine, right, in patients in terms of asking them from the moment you wake up to you light up your first cigarette, how much time goes by. And your last cigarette before you go to bed, how much time goes by then? 
the shorter the amount of time, the more likely you are heavily addicted to nicotine. And let me ask you this. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Is it to check your phone? What's the last thing you do? Is it checking your phone? If that's the case, what I want for you is to put your phone away. Put it in the living room. Charge it. Buy yourself on Amazon for eight pounds. Uh, analog alarm clock. Okay, a couple of batteries. Trust me, it's going to go a long way for your relationship to yourself, for your relationship to your spouse or to your partner, and to your well-being. Okay, that's just, I want to put that out there. So I don't want to go on for too much because I think I'm going to get a little bit too agitated about this. I just wanted to bring your attention to this. And actually, I want to hear from you. Is it just me? Or are you noticing? Maybe yourself. And by the way, I don't want to point fingers. I am 100% addicted to my phone and I'm aware of it. Okay, and I'm making an effort to try and do things to be more present, to be more here now. Whether that's putting my phone away, putting on airplane mode, or what have you. But I am also aware that a lot of us are struggling with this. And what's being interested, there was a, I heard a, an interview with one of the founder of this app called Unplug, which is to help parents monitor the digital uh, usage of their kids on screens. And uh, one of the kind of the investors that was kind of pushing back on the idea was saying that kids, you know, think it's a riot and they want to own it. And he was saying that actually their study found that kids now realize that there is an impact on their mental health and their well-being on spending so much time on phones. So it's like we've got to cry for help, for connection, for belonging, for feeling a sense of self-worth, for growing and learning. And yet we are letting that very thing get in the way, our device, our phones. And that is something that is so controllable. And I, I just want to say, I promise you, give it a try. It may feel uncomfortable at first. You may panic a little bit. Put your phone away. Next time you're speaking to a friend on the phone, stop typing on your emails. Walk away from your laptop. Go for a walk for five minutes. Be connected and hear what's really happening, right? Because sometimes someone will tell you they're okay, but you'll hear something in the voice that's not right. And you'll ask them again, are you sure? You will miss that if you are too busy looking at your phone or looking at your emails. And you will beat yourself up forever should anything happen to your friend because of that one conversation we weren't able to pick that up, okay? And I'm putting this dramatic twist on it because I really want to call this sense of urgency that we should all be present with our friends, with our colleagues, with our work so that I know deep down that that is one of the secrets to feeling happier, to being more successful, to have more deep and meaningful relationships, and to advance on our careers in whatever direction we want to take them. You know, call me maybe an idealist, but I think there's a revolution coming our way when it comes down to digital detoxes and digital boundaries, especially in the workplace. So if the message isn't loud and clear, next time you come to my workshop, you better tell your loved ones and your Insta followers that you're going to be offline for a couple of hours and that you'll be back as soon as you can. But it's going to be a breath of fresh air. You'll thank me for it later. You'll make some amazing friends in the room. And by God, are you going to learn so much amazing information that I'll provide you. Sounds like a plan? Let me know on Instagram what you think about this topic. Am I completely delusional? Am I over the top? Or am I onto something and we need to dig deeper into this topic? Get some specialists on the show to talk about this. Do you want to know more about some coping mechanism or how to deal with productivity when it comes down to managing your phone? Tell me. Send me an email or a message or a tweet or an Insta DM. I'd love to hear from you. 
That was a bit of a, of a 20 minute rant, but it's so present, especially the more I run workshops. And my wish for everybody who comes to my workshops, everybody out there who's listening, everybody who's in a meeting, in a training, is to give yourself the gift of being present. Be here now. I love you. I can't wait to see you in person at one of my next live events, one of my next workshops. You can find out all about it on www.markdrews.com. I've just updated the section on work with us. And I'll see you soon, beautiful soul. I'll see you soon.